Amen. Thank you all. Thank you. Can we celebrate them? Would you continue to pray for them? And, and we call them stream leaders. Go ahead, you guys. Can I, yeah, enough time on the stage. It's time for me now. Um, so we had a prophetic word that was spoken uh, that saw water running from the hill of SEC. And so streams, so uh, a prophetic stream flowing from SEC and uh, a teaching stream flowing from SEC. So we call them stream leaders. Isn't that neat? Isn't that exciting to, to see the Lord? And really, their job is not to do. So Sterling, his job is not just to do evangelism for SEC. That's not his job. His job, according to Ephesians 4, as Kurt prayed, is to equip and empower you all to share the love of God with your friends and family. Yeah? So you can pray for those stream leaders and, and cooperate with them. All right. All right, let's, uh, let me pray so I can get my head around the sermon now. So Lord, uh, thank you that you call us um, not to be spectators of your kingdom, but to be participants in your kingdom, Lord. You call us to, uh, to, to see your particular work in our lives and in the world. And Lord, you call us to step into the gifts and the anointing that you have for each of us, Lord. Lord, would you help us to be a congregation where we're learning and growing in our gifts and using them for your glory and your honor and your praise. Lord, would you be with us now as we open your word and, and seek to be feel, filled with your wisdom and your knowledge, your conviction, your passion. In your name we pray. Amen. So I was thinking back to when I was a freshman going to Eastern Illinois University, uh, a state university, and, and was meeting with a student leader. I think she was a junior at the time, and next year she would become president of InterVarsity, the, the student chapter at Eastern. And we were meeting just to talk about uh, what it is to, to live the faith and to be a Christian on a college campus. I was brand new and I was kind of finding my way on this large 10,000 student body and so forth, a significant moment. We're talking back and forth. And I made a statement that I thought she would be encouraged by. I said, you know... Even though the Bible is full of errors and inconsistencies, I think it's still a really good source to turn to. Now, to my surprise, she was not encouraged by that. In fact, she brought a little challenge. She said, oh, full of errors, would you name one? And I said, uh, 
And I came up with something like, you know, uh, Old Testament, eye for an eye, and, and, and New Testament, love your enemy. And, you know, I made up something. I can't remember. And she was gracious. She didn't press it. That wasn't an error, really, right? But she was gracious, and then we moved on and so forth. And I walked away from that meeting going, my first thought was, huh, you know, if I'm going to make a statement about something especially a book, I should at least read it beforehand. <laughs> that it should be an informed statement. And at that point, I, I started to read scripture both personally and joined a Bible study to, to make some assessment. And later I've reflected on that conversation and I thought, where did I get those assumptions about scripture. I was raised in a Christian home, right? And I, I considered myself a Christian. I don't know somewhere, right? Social media wasn't a thing back then, right? But somewhere maybe in the, 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 my secular education, my high school, maybe my, my friends, maybe some, my family, but somewhere I just assumed that everybody knew now that, that the Bible had been poked and prodded enough that everybody knows it's full of errors and inconsistencies. And I realized that I brought to college, think about it from this moment. This was a, a crucial time in my life. Right? I, was, I was 18 and I was trying to figure out what do I, I really believe about God? What do I really believe about me and, and, and my life and, and my calling and, and my career? What do I really believe about relationships and everything? And the scriptures, the scriptures have been the source of wisdom and knowledge and truth over all of those big areas of life. And hear me at 18, I was going to college and I had this, really this undercurrent of skepticism and doubt, even though I was a Christian, even though I thought, you know, the Bible was a good book, I had this undercurrent of doubt and skepticism. I want to suggest, I'd like to start this series I want to suggest that my 18-year-old self represents perhaps as a, a metaphor for many people in the United States today, Christian or non-Christian. That many people, they're statistically speaking, you know, that, that Americans really do generally are positive towards scripture. In fact, it's still something like nine out of 10 households have at least one Bible. Most of them have like five or six Bibles in their house, right? That we, we have that. Most of us really like the Bible and say it's good, but for the vast majority, there is this undercurrent of skepticism and doubt We've heard conversations, perhaps we've been in classes in high school or college where people have really doubted 
right? The, the, the reliability of Scripture. People have doubted how it's just really mainly a book written by men or doubted its, its today, everyday application. I mean, it was written so many years ago and it was a patriarchal society and they didn't understand anything about science or psychology and all. And all of that work, I am convinced has provided this undercurrent of doubt whether people identify as Christians. By the way, the vast majority of uh, Americans still identify as Christians. And yet there is this growing, I would say, two things. There's a growing ignorance of Scripture and a, a growing doubt of the reliability of Scripture and its application to our lives. That is part of the reason why we decided to start a series we're calling Lost in Translation. We wanted to pull back and ask some of these questions about things like reliability and, and who wrote it and, and can it be trusted. I, we're starting this series and I'm just going to tell you up front, I thought, 18-year-old Eric, that the more questions that I asked and the more that I probed, that my commitment to Scripture would wane and decrease. And I found just the opposite. I found asking some of those tough questions about Scripture, about how it was written and, and why it was written and how it was put together and, and how do we study it and can't people just make Scripture say whatever they want it to say? All those challenging questions, the more I dug, the more I said, wow. Wow. I... I have missed the significance of what Scripture represents in my 18-year-old brain. And what I'd like us to do, our, our teaching team, we've been talking and kind of working out uh, uh, this series to say, let's ask some of those questions. Let's look at this and see what God intends, the role of Scripture that the Lord intends to be in our lives, that, that what's his view of Scripture and how we should walk with the Scriptures. In fact, that's how I'd like us to begin this series, is I'd like us to turn all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. It's been a, a while since perhaps we've read from Deuteronomy. It's just before Joshua. And I want us to begin this whole series with these two questions. How does the Lord want us to see and approach Scripture as his children? How did he design it? What was his intention? We're kind of laying aside all of those questions right now, but could we just ask that question? What's the Lord's intention for Scripture in our lives? 
How does he want to, us to view the scripture? And then secondly, what role does he desire the scriptures to play in our lives? Let's just begin there. Let's, let's ask the question uh, of the Lord in that. And then we'll deal with a lot of those other questions as we move through the series, okay? So Deuteronomy, remember, this was when the people of God are still in the desert. Right? It's before Joshua. It's before they go to the promised land. And in fact, the Ten Commandments are given, given in Exodus and then in Deuteronomy 5, get another telling of the, the Ten Commandments. God gives the Ten Commandments to the people of God through Moses. And I want you to listen for God's intent. Again, for how God desires, the, the role that God desires, the Ten Commandments, but really all of Scripture, and we'll talk about Old and New Testament, but all of Scripture, what role he wants it to play in our lives. This is Moses speaking to the people of God, again, right after the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy 5, before going into the promised land. It says, Deuteronomy 6.1, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me, Moses, to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God. As long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel. This is actually a, a, a famous, a, a central prayer called the Shema. It, the, the Hebrew word Shema means hear. Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel. They, the, um, many Orthodox Jews in, in Jewish prayers, both in the morning and the evening, begin, and this Shema prayer is central to them. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. We're going to pause right there. Now, is it just me, but it doesn't seem like the Lord is very nonchalant at this moment. He doesn't seem very casual. 
Am I the only one? Like, like he's saying, you're about to go into the promised land. And he's not saying, you know, I know you guys are going to be busy with work and raising kids and all that. If you could remember these few guidelines, it would go well. But if not, it's really, uh, you know, it's, it's really, if it works for you, great. If not, that's okay. That's not his approach, is it? What he's saying, listen, this is the cornerstone of your life. This is revelation coming from him. And I'm saying, I'm, the Lord is saying, I'm giving you revelation to teach you how to live, to fully be alive. Take this, walk in it, sin in it, sit in it, lie in it. Teach your kids and have them teach their kids this revelation of truth and understanding. Now from this, from my conversation with the, the student leader, I didn't turn to Deuteronomy right away. I wish I would have. But, but I just started to read on my own. And I started to, to look at uh, questions about authorship and the source and what it was from. And, and, and I believe that my sense was, yes, it was from God, but really as men or women kind of were trying to reflect in positive ways, like maybe God kind of helped them with good thoughts in the moment. So a lot of my, my questions were about the source and, and the authorship. And I think, whether consciously or unconsciously, that's a lot of our perspective. That, that scripture's good. And, and yes, it's, it's from God, but it's kind of from God like some of those famous authors like Plato, who wrote the Republic. Like that's, that, like that's the cornerstone of Western civilization and philosophy. Maybe we should read that. Maybe even God like carried him along and, and taught him some things. I think maybe even though I saw the movie Ten Commandments, I had the impression that maybe Moses was somewhere on the mountain going all right, I need to give these guys some rules because they are ruly and let. So God, would you help me? I'm going to give them 15 rules. No, maybe that's too many. I'm going to give them 10. Lord, would you have? Yeah, and I'll put one in adultery. Yeah, okay, yeah. Help me about that, right? Did you ever see History of the World, Mel Brooks? Where he's like, here's the 15 commandments. Here's the 10 commandments that are... I, I think that was in my conscience, right? That, that, that this idea that, you know, it, it was some good thoughts. It was some wise thoughts by men at, at, in their own context, in their own situation, and that God maybe helped them write some good things. But that's not how Scripture represents itself. And I think this is a key difference. Again, look at verse 1. The, this is Moses speaking. These are the commands, decrees, and the laws 
the Lord your God directed me to teach you. This wasn't Moses' best thinking. Right? He wasn't just, could I? No, no, no. God was giving. It was God's will, God's heart, God's words, God's truths communicated through Moses. In fact, how scripture, now it is a matter of whether you believe this or not, but I want us to to begin in this how scripture represents itself. Yes, there is a divine aspect of inspiration and a human aspect of inspiration, and we're going to talk about that more in the weeks to come. But how scripture represents that the Holy Spirit is the author. It's the will of God that is communicated through human beings, not vice versa. So uh, we, we talked about the class that I wrote uh, uh, based on the book, Jesus' Big Idea, that I wrote. And boy, I, it took me about five years to write that book, and I was praying really hard, right? I was reading really hard. I was teaching parts of it and taking feedback. Do I believe the Holy Spirit led the writing of that? Absolutely. It's not scripture. It's probably full of errors. (laughs) There's probably some inconsistencies in there, right? There is a vast difference. And in fact, when I lead the class, I say, it's okay for me to be wrong right? Because I can change it, right? What what I'm trying to do is be as consistent with Scripture as possible. There's a difference between what the Bible says about its own self and all the other books ever written by men, right? Take Plato's Republic, right? Could be a great book, depending on your perspective, philosophy, and, and, and government, and so forth. But it's not scripture. Take the Book of Mormon, right? Say, that could be a good book, consistent with the New Testament. It's not scripture. No other sacred book according to scripture, has the same sense of the will of the Holy Spirit communicated through people. 2 Peter 1.21 says this. Uh, The apostle Peter is talking about really prophecy, but referencing all of scripture. says, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. This is huge. This is crucial. This should affect our approach, our view of Scripture. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This origin... The the source of truth. Jesus is the word, right? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus 
chose people to communicate from will, origin, the revelation of God. So again, just to share personally, that freshman year, I got my whole, my hands on a, a little devotional and I decided that I would start reading 15 minutes a day and answering questions within scripture. All right, started writing. And it was only, it didn't take me long, but a couple of months that as I was working through just 15 minutes a day and I was spending hours in classroom and reading textbooks and I realized I'm getting more of a life education in these 15 minutes than all the other textbooks and classes that I'm reading. In fact, to be honest with you, I started to experience the voice of God. The the Spirit of God began filling the text and started to disciple me through the text. And I noted the profound difference between my college classes and my college professors and my college textbooks and the spirit-filled text that I was reading for only 15 minutes a day. Amen. Now, I also had some assumptions, perhaps not as clear in my mind, but I think this is true for many of us, Christian and non-Christian, is that essentially the Bible represents a book of rules. A book of rules, right? That, That God's intent, right, is to be, can I say this phrase from the, I think I, like, we kind of see God as the great buzzkill in the, in the sky, right? No, don't do that. No, don't, don't, no, slap, right? We're, we're coloring, and if we color outside of the lines, there's a rule. No, don't do that, right? When in fact, again, God does not represent Scripture in that way. In fact, these are questions about the nature of Scripture and, again, the role in our lives. Let me read, again, verse 2 and 3 to you. Listen to God's heart and intention for giving the Ten Commandments, for giving the Old and New Testament, he says, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all the decrees and commands that I give you. Now, fear the Lord is reverence. It's talking about that you would walk, that you and I would learn how to walk in a right relationship with our Creator. That our Creator is the source of life and can teach us how to truly live. And foundational to that is a right relationship with God, personal relationship with God. Fear the Lord our God, and we'll keep going, so that you may enjoy 
long life. That you might enjoy your life. Look at verse 3. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. Go well with you. And that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. When he says land milk with, uh, flowing with milk and honey, of course he's not being literal. The promised land did not have milk. Just flow, it would be disgust, right sloppy with all of that. It's a metaphor for a good life. A life filled with milk and honey. He's saying, I want you to enjoy your life, long life. I want you to be in the promised land that it would go well with you. Look at your neighbor and say, he wants it to go well, go well with you. That, that's God's desire and heart and purpose for giving the commandments. He's not really, he's like, oh yeah, no, 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 I, no, let's shut down the fun. No more fun. I think that's our take on scripture. He shuts down the fun of life. And in fact, no, he's saying, I want you to f- thrive and to flourish and to live life as it's truly meant to be lived. Was it Oprah that came up with this live your best life now? Is that where it should? I would say God was the original. He's saying, I want you to live your best life now. I want you to live, to enjoy long life in the promised land. If you see in the text There's this relationship of love, obedience, and blessing. Love, obedience, and blessing. You know, when Jesus was asked, he said, what's the greatest of the commandments? You know where he went? This passage that we're reading right now. I'll read it to you. And listen to what he says. This is from Matthew 22. This is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Goes right to Deuteronomy 6. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these Two commandments. In other words, he's saying, if you are understanding the Ten Commandments, the precepts and the laws, and you're not doing it in a context of love, loving God and loving your neighbor, you're missing the heart of all the commandments because these commandments of love, that's what everything else hangs upon these commandments of love. You really want to know the commands of God and walk in the commands of God. First, hang it on, love God, and love your neighbor. How do I understand the prohibition of, uh, of adultery? Well, I better understand it through loving God and loving my neighbor. How do I understand the the commandment about no idols or Sabbath? I better understand it through loving God 
and loving neighbor. He is trying to teach, even in this early moment, not just in the New Testament, right? Jesus doesn't come up with this on his own. He goes back to the Old Testament and said, did you see in Deuteronomy 6 this key commandment of love? If you were living your life and missing this commandment, this linchpin of the kingdom of God, then you're not living it well. All the commandments. Again, understand the flow of this passage. He's saying, I want to teach you how to live a life of love. Right? I, I feel like I'm from the 1960s and the hippies. This is scripture. This is scripture. I want to teach you to live a life of love. Would you not be nonchalant with my loss? Would you not be casual about this is revelation? This is not good ideas from human beings across the generations. This is revelation from the heart of God, the truth of God for you. Love, obedience, and then blessing, milk and honey. One of the famous church fathers, Augustine, he said this, the holy scriptures are our letters from home. The holy scriptures are our letters from home. I'd have to say, friends, that was not my perspective of the scriptures. Yes, the scriptures can be, you can understand them and study them from a manual perspective. A car manual helps you drive the car, right? There's a, a human being manual helps you live their life. Yes, there, there is a role for that, but that's not the only thing. It is the, our heavenly father communicating to us how we might live life to the fullest and well. While I was in college, you know, my father, he hand wrote some letters to me. This was before texting and, and before even email, I think, or at least I wasn't on email, right? And he, he wrote letters, and I used to, I, I still have them today, right? He he hand wrote some of those letters. He would talk about his life and his practice. My, my brother had moved back home after college. He talked about him locking horns with my mom. He used humor, tons of that. But he also talked about how proud he was of me. I was at college. And I thought, you know, that's really what scripture is. If I believe it's from the heart of God. It's this letter from my heavenly Father communicating his love for me and how he wants me to do well and live well and live a life 
of milk and honey, of blessing, of, of flourishing. We should approach the word of God. I, I began to realize that the rules, I, I, I thought it would just be tons and tons of rules. When in fact, I, I saw contained in the scriptures a wisdom for life that I wasn't seeing anywhere else. There was guidance in my day-to-day, -day, in my relationships, right? My relationships with my parents, my girlfriend, right? All, all of that, there, there was wisdom and guidance in relationships and there was a call to integrity, a call to honesty and, and humility and again, a life of love. And all of this began to challenge this undercurrent of doubt and insecurity in the reliability of Scripture. And finally, I want to say a few words about the questions about the relationship of Scripture to our lives. Again, I was far more casual in that. In fact, I, I didn't really know scripture. I heard it preached in, in church, but didn't really know that. Did you know research has shown that women are more engaged as Bible readers than men? So, yeah, women, yeah. Men, step up. Come on, let's go. It's only about 60% of women are engaged, or Bible-friendly, they call it, and 40% of men, all right? That's a call, men. Let's step up, all right? Let's step into it. Also, statistically speaking, only 41% of women would describe themselves as skeptics compared to 59% of men, skeptics. I would argue that even Christians who are attending church, there is this doubt and skepticism because of the culture that we've been raised in for most of us, all right? I wanna suggest that as we work through this series, that we keep two words before us, some intentionality and saturation. Intentionality and saturation, that we, we think about those two things. Um, who knows the longest chapter in the Bible? Psalm 119, that's right, Eli, free cup of coffee for Eli, yes. And what is Psalm 119 all about? the love of the scriptures and the law. I think it's a reason why it's the longest right, chapter or psalm in scripture because it's this invitation, this very long invitation all through the Hebrew alphabet, this long invitation to come and celebrate and live and walk in. It's inviting us to this intentionality that we would no longer be casual or leave it on the shelf, that we would bring this intentionality that say, if this is the revelation of God, if this is God, 
speaking to us and inviting to us to our best life, well, we better start reading it. Yes? And then secondly, saturation. I'm just going to read to you again the verses starting at verse 6 from Deuteronomy 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. On your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Notice the, the synergy here of when you sit and when you walk, when you lie down and when you rise. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. You know, the, many Orthodox Jews, they took that very literally. I can never say the word right, but phylacteries. They would have little boxes that they would put scripture in and, and tie it on their forehead. They would place it on their arms. They, 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 weren't non, they weren't nonchalant about these. They were saying, oh, this is the revelation of God. We want it impressed in our hearts. We want to talk about it at the dinner table. We want to commit these to memory. They lived in that way. I think in part I was thinking of tattoos today. I have a good friend who's a pastor and he has a tattoo of my favorite Hebrew word, chesed, right? So the main application from today's message is we're all going to get tattoos of the scriptures Yes, special points, Natalie, has a tattoo of scripture on it. Yes, right? No, here's the point. What does that look like for you? Maybe putting these boxes of scripture on our forehead would not be the way to go. Maybe tattoos is not the way to go. But what does that look like for you? What, what's the next step how do you bring that intentionality? This is a new year. Would it be if you could say, boy, in 2022, that's when I really got intentional about the word of God. Maybe it's, you, you, can, you can grab a, a, a daily reading. If you read three to five chapters a day, they'll do that. You could do the scriptures in one year. If you're starting brand new, I would just encourage, choose one chapter a day. Right? Choose it probably in the New Testament, probably the gospel is a great place to start. But one chapter, could you say, I'm gonna be intentional. Maybe, Maybe you say, use your addiction to your phone, all right? Use that in your favor, right? So before I play that Candy Crush, before that mine's hearts, right? I, I love, right? play hearts or euchre. But before I do that, I'm going to read one chapter of Scripture. Maybe it's saying, you know what? I've never memorized Scripture before. It's brand new. Instead of reading a chapter a day, I'm going to, say, I'm going to start memorizing these patterns. What does that look like in your life? And then finally, I want to invite us 
that we're going to, it's okay to ask some tough questions through this series. And if you've always had this nagging question in the back of your mind, uh, maybe it's the reliability of Scripture, maybe how the Scripture came together, please, you can let myself or Jedediah know what that question is, and, and we'll try and incorporate some of those questions as we look at Scripture. Since I've gone long, I'm just going to dismiss you with the, the blessing. Can we do that? Can we stand together? So, Lord, would you teach us to be people of the book. Lord, would you teach us to place any doubts or hesitations or skepticism regarding your revealed word? Would you teach us to to lay it at your feet and trust you that you're a, a big enough God to handle all of our skepticism and questions. So would you go, would you go when you lie down, when you get up, when you sit or walk, would you seek the voice of the Lord in the pages of scripture, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.